Hi everyone, I'm Emily. And this is Carly. I'm the guest for today. And this is The Lighthouse Lowdown. Okay, today I'm going to be talking about the history of lighthouses for my first episode, and Carly's going to be here to provide commentary and uh, make this less awkward for me. <laughs> I'm obsessed with everything nautical, which is why I have my first episode today and forever will be about lighthouses. <laughs> uh, I've never seen one in person, but I have plans to go to North Carolina in September to go see uh, the Outer Banks lighthouses. So Ocracoke and Currituck and Hatteras and all of those, which the after, after this episode, unless it becomes two parts, but after this whole thing, I'll do episodes that are based on specific lighthouses. So I'll do a whole episode on Hatteras and a whole episode on Currituck and any other lighthouses that have cool history, which I'm covering some of them in this episode, but it's because it's relevant and not just to do a deep dive. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Let's get into it. Okay, so. We're talking about some lighthouses. I'll start with the origin of lighthouses, which weren't lighthouses. They were just bonfires on beaches or high natural like landscapes, like on tops of hills or mountains. Or What I think of automatically is in Mulan on... <laughs> The Great Wall of China, like that, but natural landscape. (laughs) Uh, And these were for land exploration because they didn't really get into sea exploration as early as these are mentioned. These bonfires on high vantage points were referenced in the Iliad and the Odyssey, which was 8th century BC. So long before we had the first reference to an actual lighthouse structure, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But firstly, the purpose of lighthouses, because... They're not really used as much now for what they were made for in the first place, so people may not know what they're for. But they're basically just for acting as a guide, so they'll aid in sea navigation, and they warn of hazards, like um, Hatteras is along what's called the Graveyard of the Atlantic, which is why it was built in the first place, is that just hundreds of ships have shipwrecked um, along this coastline. Sandbars, those will get you. Yeah, sandbars will get you. And so it's called the Graveyard Atlantic, which also makes the Hatteras land ha- um, Lighthouse haunted, which is why I'll be covering it, because it's pretty exciting. Oh, yeah. Where yeah. else are the ghosts going to go? I know. They got a- <laughs> they're just coming home. <laughs> they just, they're just finding whatever structure. Okay. That's the purpose of lighthouses, just acting as a guide for um, anyone who's doing sea exploration or just um, for figuring out where they are and they're the reason why they're so tall is because they're recognizable by their shape and height and they're also painted uh, with different patterns and colors to distinguish them for other lighthouses from the coastline especially when there's no electricity there's no lights pitch black outside there's no way to tell where you are you'd be able to tell exactly where you're on the coastline just by looking at the lighthouse and that's not even including its flash patterns and all of that so wow so every single lighthouse looks different um, at least the ones that are in the same area. I want to say yes, but I don't. I, I don't know for sure if it's just that any of them that are on the same like coastline. Yeah, same coastline would be totally different, or if it's actually all lighthouses ever. But since the use has changed over time because of electrical navigation systems, they're just uh, a lot of them have been decommissioned because they don't really they don't really need lighthouses anymore. You can just. I mean, I don't know a lot about 
ship navigational systems, but I'm assuming it's like a GPS and you can tell exactly mm-hmm. where you are and where you're headed and like it'll highlight dangers and all of that. Right. So lighthouses are not really needed anymore, but there's a natural preference for mariners to have visual navigation with the lighthouses anyway. So you can see what your navigation system is telling you in the first place. So that's that's right. kind of why they keep them around aside from just historical reasons. Yeah. Plus technology, you never know. It's going to yeah. go out. You yeah. Know, then what are you going to do? And that's another thing is the beacon is kept around in most of uh, the larger lighthouses, at least, because it's reliable and simple, low cost, and you don't need special equipment in order to make use of it. So mm-hmm. if you have a small ship that doesn't have any navigation on it, you can still use the lighthouse uh, at night but just by seeing the beacon. I also saw that lighthouses have unique coded radio signals and these are like morse code that they send out that are unique so you know just from like and they're like 200 miles away so when you can't even see the light yet you'll know which lighthouse you're in like close vicinity wow isn't that cool i'll talk about (laughs) i'm going to talk about the beacons and the flash patterns either later or if this becomes a two-parter it'll be after that all lighthouses have different flash patterns so like normally they show lighthouses as having that uh, the light that yeah that you see just every once in a while but each lighthouse has a different flash pattern so you can tell which one it is interesting is there one that's a straight up strobe light I don't know, like one that's like, party, 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 party. All the sailors pass out. (laughs) Okay, I'll go back into the origin. So the first lighthouse, there were referenced in the Iliad and the Odyssey, but the first lighthouse structure that's ever mentioned is the Lighthouse of Alexandria, which is also called the Pharos of Alexandria. And this was in 300 BC and was built in Pharos, which was next door to Alexandria, which was founded by Alexander the Great. So hmm. this lighthouse was, I saw several references for both 350 feet tall and 450 feet tall. So I just put them both hmm. on here because I, all of them had something different going on. So right. um, it was built because he wanted Alexander to be, or Alexandria, the city, to be a major port. And so they built this lighthouse in Pharos for sailors to come in. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, they connected the two cities by a mole, which is kind of like a stone pier. And water okay. can't pass underneath, but they essentially just piled rocks in a path from one city to the next through the water. And they yeah. called it Heptastadion. Which, Ooh. if you break it down, hepta is seven, and stadion is a is a unit of Greek measurement that means I think 180 meters, so it's like three quarters of a mile. So oh. they made this stone pier, almost a mile long between the two cities through water. <laughs> oh my goodness! I know, thought that was cool. And this lighthouse is one of the seven wonders of the world. Ooh! It stood for. 1,500 years before it was taken down by earthquakes. Oh, my goodness. 1,500 years. 300 B.C. all the way to, like, I think it was 1,300s. <laughs> it's crazy oh that they built something that long ago that could withstand, especially something so tall. I, I think when they built it, the only thing that was taller was the pyramids of Giza. Alexander the Great builds great lighthouses. Yeah. But this, so I forgot to mention the lighthouse that made it cool. It was like five major tiers. So it wasn't just a tower like what we see today. It was tiered mm-hmm. and it went from square to octagonal to cylindrical. And it was made of limestone and granite. Oh my. Pretty cool. Sounds and then extremely, 
extra. I know. It uh, it looks... <laughs> and the top was just a giant bonfire, but it could be seen for 29 miles because it was so tall. Insane. It was crazy. So after it fell, after the earthquakes, the last pieces that were left over on the site were used to construct the Citadel of Cape Bay. And so that stands oh. exactly where the lighthouse used to exist. Mm. So that's the first time that they were mentioned being actual structures and not just bonfires on hills. So Romans started erecting lighthouses from the Black Sea to the Atlantic. And there's remnants of like 30 of them found. I don't know if that means that there was only 30 or if that's just all that they found. One of these is in Dover, England. And I read that it said fragments of this lighthouse still exist. And I look and it's a full ass lighthouse. A fully functional it's like that ain't a fragment. I mean, it's beat up. It's obviously like extremely old, but it's it's still functioning. Like they still use it for they might have turned it into like a bell tower or something, but yeah, it was like yeah. what are you talking about fragments? This is like really awesome lighthouse. <laughs> Give them some credit. <laughs> Trading from Mediterranean to Great Britain used lighthouses to mark the route. So these were I think they were sea sea lighthouses but also for land navigation and the these lighthouses used wood fires and torches that only sometimes had a roof on top after Mm -hmm. the first century they used used candles and oil lamps with like panes of glass around them which was actually a pain because using candles and oil lamps generated a lot of soot and so the glass would fog up immediately. So there was someone that's always having to clean these panes of glass, but it kept it from being blown out by wind. You gotta pick your battles. Right. Lighthouse construction halted until 1100 CE because of dark ages. So there wasn't a lot of trading, a lot, a lot of movement, people were just trying to survive. So they didn't build mm-hmm. a lot of lighthouses. Right. It picked up again in the 1100s. And on around... They said probably 1139 CE. The Lanterna of Genoa in Italy was built. And the only reason I mention this is because it has a cool, fun fact that comes along with it. But it was also really popular. So it was like one of 25 of like the most well-known lighthouses in the world at that time. And it was rebuilt in 1544 and still exists today. Keeper wow. in 1449, right before it was rebuilt, was Antonio Colombo, which is Christopher Columbus's uncle. So, <gasps> thought that was funny, and what a small what world. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, that so odd. The next two that I'm going to mention are because they are milestones in lighthouse construction. So, we skip ahead a couple hundred years in 14th century Corduin is the lighthouse name, and it was in France, built by Edward the Black Prince. And I was going to look up why he's called the Black Prince, because all I saw is that he wears a full set of just, like, deep black armor. He just thought it was cool and named himself the Black Prince. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So this one was rebuilt 1584 to 1611. So this took almost 30 years for this guy to build, because... It was some engineer and architect that wanted it to be super extravagant. So it has like arches and marble and just like all kinds of crazy stuff going on. But when the construction was finally finished 30 years later, the entire island was submerged underwater, except for this one high point that he was building on. Oh, my gosh. So technically, it's the first lighthouse that was ever built at open sea, like not on a coastline, like out in the open. Uh And so that started giving way to other awesome light structures, like 
the Eddie Stone Lighthouse, which also is built out at sea and has a lot of cool history, which mm-hmm. I'll talk about right now because it was rebuilt four times. And the first Eddie Stone Lighthouse was made of timber that had 12 iron stanchions, which are just posts that hold it into the ground. Oh, I see. The guy who made it, his name is Winston Lee, he got washed away in the lighthouse only, I think, four years later in the great storm of 1703. And there was no sign of the lighthouse ever again. It was just, like, completely wiped out by the storm. And, And Winston Lee was like, you know... I'm going down with this lighthouse if, like, some storm is going to take it out. And he, he did. But, and that's exactly what happened. Yeah. But so this building in the open ocean was really dangerous because people on ships could just come and take you because you're in the middle of water. There's nowhere for you to go. At this yes. time, there was a war between France and England. And Winston Lee was abducted by the French while he was out doing construction And then the king of France at that time sent him back and said something. I wish I had the quote, but he said something about, like, this war is not against humanity, basically saying that the Eddystone Lighthouse was so important to be built that he just returned to this guy like, whoop. (laughs) Like, Like, go back in your spot. There's nothing to do with you. You just go do your thing. So he was taken out four years later. The second lighthouse was built of oak and iron. And this one lasted for 50 years before it was destroyed by a fire. And okay. I don't like I don't know if I want to go too deep into ha- like what happened during the fire because the guy who built it, his name was Henry Hall, or maybe he didn't build it. He might have just been uh, the keeper of the lighthouse, but he was like 90 something. He was killed during this fire because he's the the fire started on the roof of this lighthouse because that's where the lantern is. Right. And they're trying to put out the fire by throwing buckets of water up towards the roof. And there was these um, bars on the roof holding all the wood together of lead. Lead has a really low melting point. And so the fire melted the lead. And it, as he was looking up, it just fell all over him. Oh, my gosh. And it went down his throat, some lead. And oh so gosh. he actually survived for 12 days. He was, like, burnt up, but he was okay. But he was so old. He was, like, 90-something in you know, the 1700s. It's like yeah, ancient. This is a hardy dude. I know. Not even molten <laughs> lead could take him out. Doesn't even flinch. He still continued to try and put the fire out until they, they the fire like forced them out of the light. He's covered in molten lead. Me? Yeah, and so they did an autopsy after him, after he passed away 12 days later because he was doing really well. He could drink water and eat and like he was doing well, but I think it was just the toll was too much and they did an yeah. autopsy on him, and there's like there was like a large piece of lead in his stomach, and they have a replica of it at his gravesite. <laughs> I feel like my legacy is my stomach lead. The second lighthouse is destroyed in a fire, and then the third lighthouse that's built is John Smeaton's masonry tower. So this is is the basis now for how lighthouses have been built. He did this uh, four years after the fire and he made it with masonry blocks that were dovetailed in interlocking pattern and that's just these stone blocks were shaped like bow tie pasta the end of a bow tie would be lined up with the middle of another bow tie so they're all interlocking 
Amazing. Basically, it was so heavy because it was made of stone, relied on its own weight for stability, which is why the tower became like a tapered shape to where it's bigger on the bottom and smaller on the top. He gave this one a curved profile for waves because originally, you know, the the base of it's at a 90 degree angle. If it gets hit by a wave, there's nowhere for it to go. So it just has like a lot of force on the lighthouse. Mm-hmm. And so he made the base and the edges of it sloped so that when a wave would hit it, instead of just stopping, it would follow the curve of the lighthouse upward and dissipate right. some of that force. You know, smart science. <laughs> <laughs> so this one survived over a hundred years. In 1882, it was replaced with the current lighthouse because they noticed the foundation rock was starting to crack. So they just moved it over a little bit and built a new one, but they, they took the top half of this lighthouse dismantled it and placed it on the hill nearby and the bottom stump is still on the Eddystone stone rocks so it's oh, still gotcha. there just the little stump just the stump <laughs> yeah so after this masonry towers became the norm for um building lighthouses mm. so so they're pretty much all bow tie pattern yeah i'm not i'm not sure if that changed with concrete or um, but at least from this point on, that became, there was no more wooden lighthouses or like with the iron stanchions or anything. It was just masonry blocks. I, what I want to know is how did the Alexander the Great Lighthouse, how did that one last for 1,500 years? I know, you'd think they would have used that as a basis in the first place. Because there was some guy who went, before it was down, it was the first century or something. He went and took notes on all the dimensions and how many rooms were on each floor. There was like a, like 16 rooms on the first floor and just like went up from there. And so you, you'd think he would talk about how it was built, but I haven't read it. There's at least some, yeah. I mean, they, there was stone left behind that was used for the Citadel. So I don't know. You'd think people would have taken notes. Maybe it was just too expensive at the time to build something like yeah, that out of stone. Yeah, it's possible. And maybe the location made it not as hard to break down like was it further away from the shore or was it right on it it looked like it was right on it Mm, interesting all right anyway anyway so the first lighthouse in north america was built in boston in 1716 by 1820 there was 250 major lighthouses in the world that were recognizable Mm -hmm. and by the 1900s there were thousands so lighthouses started to come up everywhere because people are finding out which areas are the most hazardous for sea navigation and everything because that's the basically what would happen is that either you'd have a port where you'd want a lighthouse to bring people you know towards it and other places you'd want lighthouses not to bring people in but to keep them away from the area just to say how dangerous it is so like the Hatteras lighthouse I don't know when it was built but there were so many people crashing on these rocks they built it just to keep people away from the area 20th century lighthouses started to be constructed out of concrete and steel and this was just because it was cheap strong and also um, aesthetically pleasing is what I read. So they thought it looked really nice. So they started using concrete. For building them, they had a couple of different methods that I saw. Because if you think about a lighthouse, you you can't build a lighthouse just sitting on a seabed because it's the sand is just like always changing and always moving and you'd lose your lighthouse really quickly. So they have mm-hmm. a couple methods to deal with that. One of them is the Kaisen method, which is for being built at open sea, a really large, like 40-foot diameter steel open-ended cylinder. So think of like a giant steel toilet paper roll. 
and (laughs) they would just by excavation of sand well they'd place it on its end and then by pulling out all the sand it would sink and so as it's sinking they're adding sections of new cylinder to the top until the the cylinder's gone down like 50 feet in the sand and then they pump this big open area dry and fill it with concrete so now there's this like immovable base for a lighthouse on something that's unpredictable so you won't have to worry about your lighthouse coming down right yeah interesting and then another method that i saw from sweden uh, i don't know if i i think that this design wasn't used in many other locations it was just in sweden and hmm. it was a tower on a 50-foot base so basically like the kaisen but instead of sinking it they'd build it offshore from where they actually want it and then they tow it into position on the seabed and have it sunk which sounds a lot more difficult to me. And uh, it's so, to have this concrete base already, this would be so heavy and it relies on its weight for stability and also needs like a level prepared seabed for you to actually sink it. Otherwise you're like, go down sideways or something. Right, that seems like a lot of effort. But I saw that sometimes they would build it like a retractable (laughs) telescope just for easy transportation while they're towing it. And then when they had it in the position they wanted, they would raise it with hydraulic jacks into its tower position. I don't know. They can do their thing, but I just could not figure out how that's yeah, supposed that to work. Like efficient. Also, wouldn't they need stairs on the inside? Or Yeah, I don't know. It just seems... If, it, if someone were asking me, I'd go with the Kaisen method. That's all yes. I <laughs> Is that, that one's the most common? Uh, it's just the one that I saw for uh, doing in sand. I think every other way, they just build it like a normal building. Right, that makes sense. A fun fact, and that's that, That's basically the end of the history of lighthouses. We're now in current times. They're just built like the masonry towers and um, concrete and steel and all of that. And um, I saw this fun note that helicopters are used to reach the lighthouses that are out at sea because it's harder to get a boat with the waves and everything to get close to a lighthouse without it crashing. So they mm. built, in the late 20th century, uh, helipads on some of these, including on the Eddystone Lighthouse, which was added in the 1980s. So they would mm-hmm. helicopter over to a lighthouse and land on top to do maintenance. And That makes perfect sense. Yeah. That's the history. I have a couple other things... We probably have time, right? I think so. Okay. I can talk about the keepers, which I talked about a couple of them, like Christopher Columbus's uncle. People that Mm -hmm. are in charge of maintenance on the lighthouses and basically making sure everything's running smoothly. And they were called wikis, which Uh is because before we had uh, lanterns and um, like automated lights and everything, they would have to trim the wicks of the candles uh, throughout the day, I see. so they were called wikis. I'd be like, this is what my worth is determined by, <laughs> trimming these wicks. Yeah. So they trimmed wicks, replenished oil that were in the lanterns, and eventually clockwork was introduced, and they had to do maintenance on that, and just like basically the lighthouse was their home, so they had to take care of it. Soon things like fog signals and like weather station, search and rescue all became part of their job description. And I read about mm-hmm. fog signals. You know fog horns. Yep. That's what it is. Just some wah. And they're. <laughs> they would send. Wah. <laughs> but they'd send out fog signals when you couldn't see their 
the lighthouse beacon and it was basically just oh. a release of compressed air that was so loud that that you could hear it for like eight miles goodness yeah gracious. and they also had unique patterns for that as well so you could tell which lighthouse you were getting close to man <laughs> it'd be really creepy for it to be dark and foggy and you just hear like this ominous <laughs> i was like i'm not gonna do it a third time so you're gonna have to <laughs> I'll take over this time. <laughs> so some of these lighthouses were out in the middle of nowhere. Out on the ocean, they don't come back and forth from the coast. And the mm-hmm. role of being a keeper stayed in families due to isolation and also because it was very like a very prideful role. They either stayed inside the lighthouse, which I saw a drawing for the Eddystone Lighthouse, and it was like, uh, like a... A maintenance area, and then there was a kitchen, bedroom, and then the lighthouse beacon. In the middle of the night, they'd have to get up and work on the the beacon. And I think they were paid four hours during the day and four hours during the night. So it was an eight-hour workday. But they were kind of working 24-7 because, especially when it was fire and you always had to be making sure that it was bright and well kept yes the lighthouses could be like out on a rock in the middle of nowhere and they would need to get shipments in for rations which is i'll just tell you the fun fact right now i have a i have a list of fun facts at the end (laughs) like a short one but one of them is a tradition called flying santa (laughs) and it's gonna be good it was basically just that when they would bring in shipments of rations they would fly a plane over and drop the sack with like a parachute. <laughs> it's called Flying Santa. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. I know. I was like, Santa. All right. Or instead of being out in the middle of the ocean manning these lighthouses, they could be mixed in with normal society depending on where the lighthouse was located. So, because I mean, some of these lighthouses are on coastlines, so they would just be able to. Right. But there was always a lighthouse, a lighthouse. They, they used to be called light towers. And now we call them lighthouses, but the lighthouse used to be the place where the keepers would stay, and the light tower was the actual tower. But now oh, we just I call see. them lighthouses because we don't have keepers anymore. So I think that's kind of mm-hmm. how it melded over to being called lighthouses. So anyway, in the 1960s, they began remote monitoring, and there was electricity and automatic bulb changing, so keepers kind of got phased out. And I believe mm-hmm. there's one more keeper in the U.S. and it's at the Boston Harbor Lighthouse, the first one that was ever built. Okay. And this is just for historical reasons. They want to keep it yeah. like interesting and historically accurate. But now Coast Guard volunteers would be trained to take care of the lighthouses every once in a while. They just don't need as much maintenance. Wow. And a lot of them are decommissioned, so there's nothing going on at them at all. So you don't have to do any maintenance. But there are almost, well, I saw a bunch of different numbers for this, but 22,000 lighthouses in the whole world. Because even the Great Lakes have hundreds. Right. Yeah, so that makes sense. There's thousands of them. Large bodies of water. Yeah. So the earliest keeper recorded was in that Dover lighthouse I was talking about that are not just fragments, but a full-ass lighthouse. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and this was in 1730. His name was William Knott. Interesting about this is that there were three major keeper families in England that were known for being lighthouse keepers. The Knott family had 200 years of lighthouse keeping under their belt. And so these families would intermarry. So it was just like this club of lighthouse Very keepers. Exclusive, yes. Like, <laughs> lighthouse breeders. Right. <laughs> we make the best keepers there are. So the Knott family, the Darling family, and the Hall family. And 
Hall is the guy who had the lead go down his throat. So he just no. Yeah, I don't want some of his genes. He did like, live a long time, <laughs> and is apparently just very resilient. <laughs> For that time, living to over ninety years old. Yeah, and two weeks after a traumatic injury and having lead in your stomach, he did a great job. Yeah. So the first keeper in the U.S. was George Worthy Lake in Boston Harbor in 1716. So they built that first lighthouse and he became the first keeper. Excellent last name. Like, Isn't that, I, I'm wondering if I'm pronouncing it wrong, but it's just spelled Worthy Lake. So that's. He's worthy of watching the lake. Yeah. <laughs> in 1776, Hannah Thomas was the first woman lighthouse keeper in the U.S. in Massachusetts. So I thought that was cool. There was actually a ton of women lighthouse keepers. It was like not abnormal. Nobody thought it was weird to have a woman lighthouse keeper because they were kept in the family that Mm -hmm. when the husband or the father passed away, the woman just naturally gives her duty to continue it. So there were lots of women lighthouse keepers and they were paid $200 a year for their service Mm -hmm. in the 1700s was still only like $7,000 today. I was like... Oh, $7,000. Like, you have to be doing something on the side. Yeah. <laughs> or live really modestly in your lighthouse. But most lighthouses were automated by the late 1900s. We don't really have mm. keepers anymore because they don't need them. It's a lost art. I know. It's kind of sad. I thought it was cool. Yeah. I would like to be a lighthouse keeper. <laughs> Maybe not one that's out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> I read something interesting about that, too, is that there's this stigma that lighthouse keepers go insane. Mm-hmm. You know, there's movies about it where it's just like... They just delve into madness and people say it's because of the isolation. But mm-hmm. there's evidence that it's actually from mercury poisoning because they needed the... Originally, the light itself would just flash by having a plate that would move around the light that had a hole in it. So it would okay. give the illusion that this thing is rotating, but it really was just allowing light to come in just every so often or every one rotation but then they started rotating the actual light lighthouse keepers found that it would spin easier and faster on a little bed of mercury than it did with clockwork spinning it okay yeah so they would have to be working with mercury all the time and mercury poisoning can make you go crazy basically it's like hallucinations and confusion not so not necessarily from the isolation but from mercury Mm -hmm. what a dangerous profession i know well they did it to themselves (laughs) they're like this works great (laughs) yeah i'll touch this all day long I have a whole section on history of the beacons, and this is two pages long. Maybe I should save that for another episode. Part two? Yeah. There's a lot of cool history on the beacon, so I'll just do an episode on the beacon. It'll probably be pretty short, and then I'll start episodes about the really cool stuff. Yeah. Individual lighthouses and hauntings. Excellent. But yeah, that's what I got for now, then. First episode completed. Yeah. Love the history. Christopher Columbus's uncle. <laughs> Lighthouse. We love the feature from Christopher Columbus's uncle. <laughs> I looked, and there are no lighthouse podcasts that I can see. Oh. So it's either because nobody cares or because nobody realized how much you need lighthouse information. Yes, and how interesting it really is. There yeah. are a lot of things you don't think about. Haunted lighthouses. Mm-hmm. Uncles of famous figures. Lead in your stomach. Yes. 
Oh, yeah. But I'll just finish right there. So thanks for listening. And I'll, you know, release another episode here pretty soon. If you find this cool, go ahead and subscribe to my channel, um, Lighthouse Lowdown. Thank you.